This is On the Fence Physio, a project designed to drive discussion around those gray topics in physiotherapy. If a professor ever answered your question with, it depends, this is where you want to be. We might not figure out the correct answer, but we will try to answer the question in every single possible way. This is a discussion forum directed at healthcare providers around issues in physiotherapy, but we also welcome viewpoints from patients. That being said, this podcast is not medical advice. If you are looking for legitimate medical advice, seek out a legitimate licensed medical provider. Now, on to the show. This is episode five of the On the Fence Physio podcast. Our topic for this episode is residency and specialty training. Is it worth it? I am your host, as always, Andy Wiseman. I'm joined by my dashingly debonair co-host, Matthew Owens. Um, we are going to be talking around and about all things physical therapy and medical residency and specialty training. Matt, how are you doing this evening? Hey, I'm doing pretty good today. How are you doing, Andy? Oh, I am feeling delightful. Um, I feel like I always do these introductions, and maybe it's just because I have this wonderful speaking voice or a face made for radio, but I think next week we should mix it up because this is a uh, shared podcast. We, uh, we, are, we are equals in this, just as we are equals in all things. There, I, that is not true in any sense of the word, but I think I could handle the intro duties next month. <laughs> All right. Um, so we uh, were trying to figure out, is physical therapy, residency, and specialty training worth it? I'm sure all um, second and third year physical therapy students have had this question. Maybe someone's come to your school and talked about what residency programs are out there. Maybe you understand a little bit about, but Matt and I first wanted to introduce um, what we did to get through residency, you know, to get to that point in residency. Um, my story is that I initially applied to do a residency program right out of school. Um, I wanted to do a traditional orthopedic residency one-on-one -on -one with mentor. Um, their model was that I was going to work 30 hours a week treating patients, be paid 75% of a starting PT salary, and then have um, mentoring and academic responsibilities in those additional 10 hours and probably a little bit of outside that time. Unfortunately, I made it to the final two in that and uh, didn't win out in the end. So uh, second is the first loser in my case. But there are other residency options out there. So while I was you know, bopping around CSM one year, I came across um, Pivot Physical Therapy, which is a company I currently work for, and they offered a in-house residency program as well. It was mostly done during distance learning. Um, they offered you a full-time salary. Um, you do have to stick around for a while to get you on contract to mentor another class of residents that come through after you. Um, and that's the program I decided to go with. And we had some in-person classes we need to go to. We had to get, you know, in-person mentoring hours. But a lot of the lectures that were presented to us and also the lectures that I put together and gave um, as the chief resident for the week were virtual. And that model works well when you are married to a military person and have to move wherever the government tells you to move. <laughs> How about you, Matt? What did you do about residency 
Yeah, so like you, Andy, I think in our last year of PT school, as most third years uh, probably start to experience is you're wondering what you're going to do next. And we had a few uh, different residency options come and speak to us. Uh, and all of those options were, like you said, the in-person uh, variety. And in listening to those talks, I walked away feeling that if I didn't do an in-person residency, I was going to have an inferior experience and that the residency I did wasn't be the real thing. So while you think there's any potential bias to the people that were oh no no none residency programs no not at all since they were the ones in charge of the residency programs but one of these people who came and talked about residency training outside of uh, the spiel of hey come to our residency uh, was from the University of Delaware was uh, at IU to give a grand rounds talk and then had a little. Uh, pre or post debriefing, I can't remember which it was, uh, but it was in, pre, I was there with you. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so my question to them was, okay, I don't think I can do an in-person residency because there's only two options: one in the state of Indiana, one option within driving distance, and I have mm -hmm. a family, two kids, and I don't really feel like Wait, it's. Wait, so you're saying there's feasible. only one? Orthopedic residency program in the state of Indiana. At Great least in state. central Indiana, it does the I think there's a sports residency down in Evansville. Do they have an orthopedic residency? I don't know. They just have the sports one. Okay. As so, far as when I was paying attention to what Indiana was doing in their physical therapy scene. Yeah, so in our third year, one orthopedic in person residency. Huh. That's kinda hard to get a spot, don't you think? Yeah, coming from the first loser, I would uh I'd agree with that, right? So I just didn't think it would be feasible. So I asked this person who I thought might have a little bit of a biased opinion towards in-person residency, what her thoughts were. And she, no hesitation, said, if you can do a residency, whether it's in-person or remote distance, you should do a residency. And I was like, oh, well, that's not what I've been like really hearing what what's your reasoning behind that and she said that her belief was it would be better to have focused evidence-based learning concentrated in your first two years or three years uh, after graduation to help set you on the right course for the rest of your career and that it would be better to do that even if it was remotely than to pick a class here, do a course there, uh, and not come out of it with the foundation in evidence-based treatment and also um, not coming out of it with a specialty certification. So that uh, response to me was all I needed to uh, definitely grab onto the idea, okay, however I can do a residency, I want to do residency. So I chose a similar path through my, uh, the company I work for. They partner with Evidence in Motion, which I think partners with multiple clinics and organizations uh, around the country. And most of my courses were done online and then with some weekend intensives uh, thrown in as well. And then as a part of it, I had to spend so many hours with an orthopedic specialist. And within my company, 
there's one orthopedic specialist in the central Indiana area. So I drove um, about an hour and a half or so from my home clinic once a week to spend time with her. Uh, and that was my experience with residency in the route I chose. Okay. But why? Why did you choose to do that? What, why was it? Why did you feel like it was worth the time and effort and extra driving hours and time away from your family and time away from me? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. And that's the question that we wanted to pose um, to the Twitterverse this month. Why so what did you would find it be worth throughout it? the Twitterverse? Well, out in the Twitterverse, uh, there was a well commented on and responded to thread by Zach Lentini. That's a uh, Lentini underscore PT. Uh, based on his profile, it would seem that he is in residency right now. And his question was, how would the profession of physical therapy change if residency training was a requirement for all DPT graduates? So within that, there was quite a few comments back and forth, many of which disparaged the idea of residency, especially a mandatory residency, because the thought was that PTs would go even deeper into debt and not make any more money. That was probably the primary complaint, was that the financial aspect did not seem feasible. Uh, and then not really much was talked about from a clinical care perspective. It really, from an argumentative, I guess, area, it was mostly about about the money. And that's interesting because I was paid a full-time starting PT salary. And while I did have some additional responsibilities outside of my full-time PT schedule, I was being fully compensated for the work that I was doing. So I think that there are lots of different models out there. And while some do pay you at a reduced rate, um, there are people maybe in the medical field that are being paid even worse. Right. And I think so, before, before uh, you touch on that, I think yeah. another thing to bring that in is I talked to uh, a coworker of mine who's a facility manager at a different clinic, and he's a um, geriatric certified specialist and did a residency um, with that. And the residency model that he was a part of was that kind of traditional, I think what we've seen from an in-person perspective, of as you take a percentage pay cut um, because you're going to have these educational hours. And for him with student loans, when he applied for the residency, he just he told them, he said, I won't take a pay cut, but I will treat patients 40 hours a week. I'll figure out a way to do it mm -hmm. if I have to come on on Saturdays and whatnot. So he did an in-person residency whose model was to not pay you a full 40 hours and got paid a full 40 hours because he worked a full 40 hours. And I think huh, we saw negotiate. Yeah, he negotiated <laughs> and we um, saw a response on our thread from uh, Dr. Funk, who I think helped lead or run a sports residency. And Do you think they, he does any disc jockeying on the weekend? Maybe. <laughs> he has a great name, Dr. Funk. But he said that they pay their residents based on the percentage of a full caseload uh, that they see. He said typically that ends up being 70 or 75%. But he was also open that if you saw 100% of a full caseload, you could be reimbursed 100%. So just a little aside and for if those. COVID brought your caseload down to 25%? <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> better get on that uh, uh, that virtual womp, womp, womp. <laughs> virtual patient care or something. I don't know. Yeah, virtual patient. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about maybe what we right. as doctors of physical therapy. We want to be doctors. We want to be um, known as primary care providers, first uh, direct yeah. access providers. What do other professionals who lay claim to the title of doctor or right. physician go through so, in residency? Let's admit some things first. Let's admit some things first. As physical ther- as the physical therapy field switched from a master's degree to a doctorate degree and is pushing to get direct access that we can be primary care providers, we are chasing the medical doctor model. We are trying to be a little bit more like MDs. Our physical therapy school had us take classes side by side with medical students because we are trying to be on a similar level to them. Yes, we're trying to be the movement experts. Yes, we're trying to be the movement experts. We are trying to stay in our lane, but we are trying to be of a similar level of, you know, being able to see patients in primary care, um, being able to, you know, provide the diagnostic and screening roles that primary care physicians do. We're trying to be there. Let's like, let's just be honest about that, you know, and all medical doctors basically go through residency. Okay. Yes, there are some that don't match and they end up maybe working for an insurance company auditing things, (laughs) but no one, no one is going to go to their doctor and they have not completed residency. Okay. Like everyone's going to a board certified specialist. Um, medical residents, um, are capped, um, by the ACGME, which is their, uh, you know, like capti, um, at 80 hours per week. And I have a very direct line. So let's admit my biases. I have seen my wife work 80 hours. I have also seen my wife work more than 80 hours. You can only document that she was there 80 hours, but she has easily pushed 90, 95, 100 hours in a week of patient care, not just sitting around waiting for the phone to ring, Uh, especially in a pandemic where internal medicine physicians are kind of valuable. Um, And the uh, American Medical Association reports that in 2018, the average... Um, annual salary for residents was about $60,000. So if you want to do a little math with me real quick, that comes out to just under $14 per hour. Do you think there's any physical therapy residents who are making less than $14 an hour? And do we think that physical therapy residents are performing a job that is as life-sustaining as medical (laughs) I'm not going to say more important. That would open up a whole new can of worms, you know, because lots of things are important and rate, you know, gauging your uh, relative importance is is impossible. But um, as far as sustaining life, uh, I have never once, you know, knock on wood, right, had to save anybody's life in physical therapy. Um, Maybe I'm preventing comorbidity mortality. Sure. Um, But my wife has saved people's lives. She is a damn hero. All right. (laughs) And she is working way more and way harder and being reimbursed less. So So you're uh, telling me that all these, you're telling me that all these PTs on this thread, right. Uh, that are complaining about having to work 
32 hours. Well, maybe, God forbid, 40 yeah. hours. Maybe, I mean, plus a little yeah. bit of education. They're, they're complaining about their debt, too. Yeah. Uh, it's, oh. just, it's just uh, what you're saying is their blinders are on and they don't understand or see what the medical field in general typically goes through for specialization uh, and residency. Yeah. That's the internal focus a little bit too much is we we all want to believe that we are going through the hardest thing. We all, you know, in our internal narratives as people, we want to believe that the challenges we are experiencing are the hard challenges. And while everyone's path is their own, if you can lo open yourself up to look around you sometimes, you can see that there are other people that have greater hardships than you that um, have, you know, didn't start maybe as far ahead in life as you did or are taking a path that's even more difficult. Um, I noticed this quite um, clearly when we were taking neuroanatomy with the medical students and I said, this is the hardest class that I have ever taken in my life. And um, the medical students I was studying with said, well, this is like our third hardest class this semester. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, perspective and, uh, is always it's a, very a good I, thing. Yeah, perspective yeah. is a good thing, good thing to have, don't you think? I do, I do. So, to right. kind of jump off the the bashing of our, you know, complaining right. about our salary. <laughs> so, do we think that? Yeah, yeah. What are some good things? Or what are do some you good think? Things? Do you think that residency is worthwhile from a financial perspective? So um, there is some evidence out there to show um, article done by uh, Stephanie Jones um, that was published in JOSBT um, found that people that did residency um, had greater involvement in leadership and education roles and they got paid more. So um, total um, earnings over a lifespan were greater for people who had completed residency than those who hadn't. And we also have to take it into a grain of salt that um, we haven't had that many residency programs in PT for a while. In 1999 was the first data point I could find, and there were two accredited residency programs. So we don't have a whole lot of lo really long-term data to look at to see what are the long-term effects that people who do a residency program early in their career. How does that affect their career in the long term? So we don't have a lot of that data, but we do have some you know, promising things where you know maybe seeing greater promotion into leadership and education roles um getting paid more you know most i think employers would take it into consideration if you have a board certified specialty a residency program or fellowship training for sure um for sure and that's um another research report put out by the journal physical therapy education um, would agree with you on that and back you up on that that statement um, that employer perceptions of physical therapist residency and fellowship training um, the insights into that was that there was a lot more respect for those therapists that completed residency or fellowship training um, and that they felt that their clinical aptitude um, was better and um, they rated these residency trained clinicians higher in leadership and teaching skills. All right, we're going to start a new new segment here called But Matthew. Oh. There's an article in front of my face right now that says 
the impact of physical therapy residency or fellowship education on clinical outcomes for pain with musculoskeletal condition or for patients with musculoskeletal conditions, excuse me, uh, published by JOSBT in 2015, found not a whole lot of difference in the clinical outcomes for um, residents compared to non-residency trained um, therapists. They had 25,000 patients in the study. So that is a good point, Andy. But with all published research, the proof is in the pudding, and that pudding mm -hmm. is the methods. And most of the time, and especially in this case, we have to ask, all right, we say there's no such thing as a stupid question, but is the question we're asking important? And the point that you had brought up before in our pre-conversation to this uh, podcast is why do we care so much about outcomes? Yeah, I, yeah, obviously baited you on that question. Um, but yes, clinical outcomes, we're just talking about the patient perception of outcomes. These are usually PROs. Um, we can strongly affect these um, outcomes with a lot of contextual factors. I always like to talk about the study they did with the, with the DASH, you know, the disability of arm, um, shoulder, and hand. So we're giving the patient that outcome to fill out. And then half the people you take and you make them do all the tasks on the sheet. And then the other ones, you just have them sit in the lobby for 15 minutes. And then you have both groups fill them out again. And you see big differences in the change in score on the dash after just 15 minutes. Did we really make a change in the patient's physiology in any way? No, we just, um, we changed their perception. Correct. So these contextual been, factors. It's been reproduced with the lefts as well. Have right. them take the test, have them do the things on the test, retake the mm -hmm. test, score changes. Right. So we, we were, it's their perception. So, this perception can be strongly influenced by alliance. Therapeutic alliance is you know, a fun buzzword to talk about in physical therapy. It's in all healthcare fields, but we can get positive, you know, patient relationships that end up with this, I think, good clinical outcomes, whether or not the interventions that we chose are actually efficacious. If the methodology of the intervention is actually making a meaningful and lasting difference in the patient. Um, we can still have a good outcome because outcome is a really easy thing to modify with a lot of different factors. Right. Um, and you even can have we've had good outcome with fake equipment in your clinic. We've seen, we've seen research on that where you had people come into a blank clinic and people come into a clinic that has fake like cardboard cutouts of equipment. Even though they don't use any of the equipment, obviously, they have a greater perception of their, the care that they're going to get in that clinic because they see all this supposed equipment that they can use. So I think chasing clinical outcome is the wrong thing to be asking. I think there are a lot of better questions we could have asked about this. We could have asked about um, adherence to um, clinical guidelines, um, evidence-based care, I think would have been good. I think that um, utilization of care. So how many visits did it take for us to get from bad outcome to good outcome? You know, are we, you know, are residents, you know, better, you know, performing in those realms? Because I think that every physical therapist out there can get positive outcomes. I do not think that we allow people to graduate in the U.S. that are not going to be able to get positive outcomes from their patients because really, 
It's about being a good, um, empathetic person and having um, enough knowledge to seem knowledgeable. <laughs> <laughs> having enough knowledge to seem knowledgeable. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I might be almost there. That's why I grow my beard out too, so my older patients respect me more. Now, do you use touch of gray? <laughs> I do to add gray into my beard. Uh, yeah, no, I think those are all really good points. And those are things that I would like to see researched. And uh, maybe they would mm -hmm. confirm my bias and maybe they wouldn't. Uh, but we don't yeah, know because it hasn't been studied. Yeah. And but, I think that also speaks. Yes, it also speaks to your point, though, that this whole physical therapy residency thing is newer. But Matthew, what if I don't want to do a residency? I just want the board certified credentials after my name. You can do that. So I had a mentor in school who was a board certified orthopedic specialist, um, just a really smart guy that I respected a lot. And I told him, I think I want to do residency. He said, oh, no, no, you don't need residency. Just read these um, you know, clinical practice guidelines, the orthopedic section books here, take the test. Mm -hmm. You can get the test. Uh, for me, the point of the residency was not to get or just to get an orthopedic uh, specialty certification or get that specialty certification. The point for me was to get some hands-on training with an expert clinician and really be immersed in an evidence-based learning environment for an extended period of time. Well, that is so noble of you to want that, to you know, really love learning like that. But I'm going to speak to maybe the slightly more um, vain or pragmatic, in my uh, opinion, listeners out there. Um, the ABPTRFE, right? <laughs> Our credit needs to work on that acronym. Um, has been tracking um, outcomes on the um, board, on certified board exams for residents and non residents and splitting those up since 2006. Um, residents have always outperformed non residents in first time pass rate, and those margins have been up to 21% different. So, doing a residency will likely improve your chances of passing the board specialty exam. So do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there's a lot of good reasons. Obviously, we are biased. We both did we a residency. Biased. We both thought it was valuable. Um, we have just listed a whole bunch of reasons why it's good to do one. But we're on the fence physio. We're here to talk about all sides of the argument. So why? Why, Matthew, would I choose not to do a residency program? Well, if I want to be curmudgeon -y, I would not do a residency program because while the financial returns eventually may be worth it, it's a lot of money if you have to pay for it, if you have to give it up uh, in salary, if you have to uh, marry yourself to an organization that maybe you don't like. Uh, maybe I don't want to do a residency and specialize because I don't want know what I want to do yet. Uh, maybe I don't mm -hmm. want to do a residency or specialty because like myself, I work in a rural setting where I see neuro, ortho, pediatrics, geriatrics. And if I pigeonhole myself to 
closely, right? Into a specialty, maybe I'm losing knowledge that I need to have for those other patients. Mm -hmm. I think those are all really good reasons. I do think accessibility is a very important reason for us to consider as well. There are only, you know, like 250 odd programs that are credentialed. It's really hard to find a spot. If you have a life situation, you just so happen to be right near a program, fantastic for you. Good job, right? But there are some people that don't have that ability to pick up their life and move to be where a residency program is. Um, there are a lot of people that have families and they have um, situations where they need to be there for their family. And if you have, you know, additional responsibilities, then maybe residency would be too much of a burden. Um, I do think that's what distance learning programs um, do fill the role of, though, because you can do those from anywhere in the country as long as you can find a mentor, um, which can be difficult because only six and a half percent of physical therapists out there are certified board specialists. So you can, you know, finding a mentor could be a bit of a challenge based on what setting you're working in. And three and a half percent of those are orthopedic. So if you're looking for a mentor and something else other than orthopedic, Good luck, friends. Um, Good it's luck. It's hard to do, right? Um, but we need to um, know that you know our profession, while it is definitely pushing towards being a little bit more like physicians and providing specialty training so that we can become experts in our fields and provide the best care to patients that are in our specific populations, there's just not a whole lot of support for it yet. So. I don't disparage upon people who haven't been in a completed residency program, but since I had the opportunity, I took the chance and did it because I thought it would be worth it in the end and that eventually I think they are going to become mandatory for physical therapists and I don't want to be the old dinosaur that says, well, back in my day, they didn't have mandatory and uh, I never went back and did one. So try to get in on this ride the wave as they say. Ride the wave. And I think that's a good point in many things why wait until you have to do it why not do it because you want to uh, and that was one of the things that motivated like me to, yeah so they don't pile up and they you know <laughs> don't get all moldy and flies and stuff i think that that's what that's my brain at 31 you know i only have a short window of time to get this done so now that was one of the things that moldy yes that's one of the things <laughs> that motivated flies. me that's one of the things that motivated me was to uh not not wait, but try to be ahead of the curve uh, in some ways. And and I think with residency, my thought was there's really not a downside to it. You know, there's some things um, treatment wise or other things you can be on the cutting edge and then find out that, oh, this is really not that good or we're causing harm from a residency perspective. Worst case scenario, you studied a lot one year, learned a lot of things and spend a little money on it. Um, but no no negatives from that perspective that I can that I can see. Unless you fail. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you fail the OCS exam, yes. Or your whatever, your specialty exam of choice. I shouldn't be so orthopedic biased. So here Oh, but that's us. Yes. So before biased. before we wrap up, I do mm -hmm. I want to throw a question out there that we haven't talked about. Mm -hmm. Um so we've talked about one stage of advanced um, clinical specialty, mm -hmm. residency, uh, and board certification. What are your thoughts on 
the continuation of that, either with fellowship, training, a doctorate of health science, or a PhD. I think that all of those provide a very different track for where you'd want to go with your career. So I think that having residency training and having a board certified specialty really lends in, leans into the whole being a clinician and being a good clinician and maybe being a clinician mentor, you know, being a clinical instructor. Um, I do feel like if you go through the route of doctorate of health science or a PhD of some degree, um, you're kind of leading a little bit more in towards the academia and the research side of things. So that's going to, you're going to want to be moving that way in your career. If you're looking to be, end up in more of an academic or research related role, that's where you want to be. If you're trying to work as a clinician in an outpatient clinic 40 hours a week, I don't think that PhD is the way you want to go. Um, as far as doing a fellowship, um, the fellowship programs are, again, kind of leading a little bit more towards the clinician role. So it would be just advancing certain skills in certain areas. Obviously, the most often, the one that comes to mind first for me is the longest acronym of all of them, <laughs> F-A-O-M-T, right? Yeah. So that um, would be lending a little bit more in towards your manual therapy skills. And without getting into too much of my treatment biases, I'm not really interested in working on those. So not really something that I'm looking forward to, but I would like to eventually see myself in a bit more of a professor role and maybe the doctorate of health science helps me build my um, CV in order to work towards that end goal. So it's a possibility, but yeah, I don't necessarily have a whole lot of burning desire to go back to school. Yeah. So what you're telling me, Andy, is that my clinical doctorate isn't the end-all be-all for my career and that by making specific choices in the continuing education that I pursue I can help shape what my future career looks like what I get to do the patients I get to treat the people I get to teach those types of things oh, sounds like you set me up on that one sounds like you're being an adult learner Ugh, makes my head hurt <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, great conversation around this. Um, I do appreciate um, all of the people that joined in on our conversation. Dr. Funk, thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Wiseman, always in my heart. Um, thank you for participating in our conversation. Please um, continue, um, fans and listeners, to participate in our discussion threads. That's where we get a lot of our material, and that's where we get a lot of our um our thoughts challenged. Okay. So I like, I like to be challenged on Twitter. I like to have conversations back and forth. I think that's how we all grow and learn as a profession. So Matt, I decided, we decided, this is a shared decision. Shared um, decision making. Obviously yes, not came, my own. We came right? together. Um, yes. That our next top topic thread for on the fence physio is going to be to expose or to avoid. Um, we're talking about pain. Um, when is it time, when is it fine for your patient to hurt? When is it not fine for them to hurt? Um, it's a very fun, great question and a question that, um, my, uh, current student in a rotation has asked me and I've had to try to explain without sounding like I'm just pulling stuff out of my ass. <laughs> I can't, can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a good discussion. It'll be uh, some, a good topic for me uh, to think about this month uh, 
regarding ex to expose or to avoid. I'm excited. Well, don't avoid the discussion thread. Please join in. Um, it'll be posted on the 15th, and we will get this episode up and posted for everyone. And uh, that wraps up our show. Thank you all for joining us. Matt, have a good night. You too, Andy. See you next month.